Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. So a Bible reading today, thanks Lou, <laughs> is from 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 1 to 17. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Thanks, Murray. Thank you, Sue. All right. How are we doing this morning, church? Good to see you. Good to see you. I'm excited to um, share on this passage this morning because as, um, yeah, much of a sort of lengthy one as it is this morning, it's one which many Bible commentators attest to being the most important verse or passage in the Old Testament. 
It's pretty high praise, isn't it, of all the Old Testament. This is what a lot of commentators say is incredibly important as a pivotal passage which points towards God's providence in the moment of David's situation, but also to something so much greater, which we're going to be looking at this morning. Spoilers, it's Jesus. So, so you can go home now. Um, so, we find ourselves in this moment in the book of Samuel, where David has finally been established as king of Israel. The city of Israel has been established. The Ark of the Covenant, this box which represents God's very presence, has been brought back into the city. David very sort of infamously celebrates that in quite an effervescent way. And then what happens here is he finally finds himself in rest from all of his enemies. And he thinks, what should I do now? I am going to build a mighty temple for God. Sounds like a good plan, right? I'm going to build a massive temple to honour God. He says, how can I be living in this house of cedar when my God still lives in a tent? Sounds like good intentions, right? Because we know throughout this story of David that he has been known as a man after God's own heart. This is the sentiment that is repeated about David. He is a man after God's own heart. And yet in this moment in the story, this pivotal moment, not just in his story, but in the story of Israel and in the history of Christianity, he gets it wrong. <laughs> His good intentions aren't aligned with God's intentions in this moment. The uh, character Lady Bracknell from The Importance of Being Earnest says, it is always with the best intentions that the worst work is done. <laughs> Can't that often be true? It is often with the best intentions that the worst work is done. That how often do our good intentions lead to actually not great and sometimes disastrous outcomes? I meant well. I meant well. My intentions were well. But if they're not aligned with God's intentions, then that's all they are, intentions. And this is kind of where we are a lot of the time in our culture today, in a world that runs by its own agenda and is no longer trying to be like David, seeking the heart of the Lord. We'll, we'll kind of look to almost anything to seek God's desire, to seek the desire for our lives other than God. Look to anything, even, you know, maybe a Kit Kat bar. I don't know, is anyone aware of Kit Kat's new campaign, where if you've got a snap decision that you need to make, get a Kit Kat finger your two hands represent two different choices. You snap it in half, and what other hand is the longest side of the Kit Kat? That's the decision you should make. Because obviously, the Nestle conglomerate and Kit Kat are the ones to guide you in the best decisions for your life. Whether it's a small decision about what new haircut to get, or whether to sell all your earthly possessions and take your wife and kids over to a foreign country and become a missionary, Kit Kat is there for you to support you in life's big decisions. But this is kind of what happens when we strip God out of the equation, isn't it? We're left with what? I mean, clueless commentators and just fathoming forecasts and snapped Kit Kats to guide us. So I want to ask you this morning, and it's not a rhetorical question, how do you discern God's will? How do you discern God's will? Because we see that David was a man after God's own heart, and yet in this moment, his intentions did not align with God's intentions. I'm going to do something that half of you love and half of you hate. <laughs> Turn to someone next to you and have a bit of a chat about how do you discern God's will. And if you'd prefer, you can just sit in solemn silence. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> 
So I'll give you a couple of seconds. It can be a little tricky, can't it, to discern God's will. Sorry, mate. This, this train waits for nobody, Brian. I'm sorry. We've got a steam ahead. <laughs> i got a small group leaders meeting to get to. Now, uh, it's a really hard question, isn't it? How do you discern God's will? Like, it should be an easy answer, but it can sometimes be a bit tricky. And this is where I want to take us today, looking at how we can better discern God's Will And I think it's, as Christians, as people who want to faithfully follow God, like pivotally important, right, to know how we can discern God's will. Because we see that good intentions aren't always enough. And David's good intentions don't align with God's intentions. We see this in 2 Samuel 7, 1 to 3. After the king, David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in tent. Nathan replies to the king, whatever you have in mind, go and do it, for the Lord is with you. This is the first point that I want to make. Good intentions desire bigger than God's intentions sometimes. Good intentions sometimes desire bigger than God's intentions. David has good intentions, but they're not aligned with God's intentions. He has this dream of building a legacy an empire. It's something which he's hoping his heart is in the right place to bring glory to God, to bring honor to God, to publicly declare God's goodness. And yet, God's intentions are something smaller. Do we believe that God's intentions aren't always looking bigger? We can get so caught up in a capitalistic culture, a hedonistic treadmill where we always think it's about bigger, bolder, brighter by our own brawn. But maybe God is saying that he wants smaller, simpler, stripped back but spirit-led. Hmm. Because in a world that declares that bigger, brighter, bolder is better... This is a countercultural way to live. To declare that God is infinite, but I am finite. There's only so much that I can do, and maybe God isn't looking for bigger right now. I love the story of Gideon 
in the book of Judges, who he's an army commander who has 32,000 men ready for battle to storm the Midianite army. And what does God tell him? He says, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast again. They'll say, my own strength has saved me. It says in this story that their enemies swarmed the valley like locusts, that their enemies had more camels than grains of sand that could be counted on the seashore. And here's Gideon with 32,000 men and God saying, smaller, strip back. And then the Lord says to Gideon, with the 300 men, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home and he won the battle, not by his brawn, but by God's spirit, by God's provision, by seeking God's intention instead of his good intention. What if? I'm going to say something a bit radical. What if we stopped measuring our success by how many heads turned up to church on Sunday and started measuring our success by how many hearts are genuinely turned to Christ and seeking his intention? What would that look like? Even if the Spirit is saying, I don't want bigger, brighter, bolder, by your own brawn, I want simpler Stripped back, smaller, spirit-led. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking right now. You're like, um, Murray Lambert, did you not stand up here last Sunday and celebrate the growth our church has had over this past year? Yeah, and all glory to God. But let's not conflate physical growth for spiritual growth. Because if physical growth is directly related to spiritual growth, if the two things are directly related and there's no other variables, then there sure are some cults that are really spiritually vita- have spiritual vitality. There are some mosques and synagogues that have spiritual growth. If we're purely just going to measure it by the amount of heads that turn up on a Sunday or whatever day they meet, like we know this, we know that physical growth and spiritual growth cannot be solely related to each other, that causation and correlation there are not always the same thing. And we see it in Scripture that God doesn't always measure spirituality by the size of your building or your budget or your congregation. Why am I saying all this? To bum us out? No. (laughs) Because I think it's a really important warning for us. Because I think when we fall down this rabbit hole of misconception that God always wants bigger, the implication of that is that God always wants busier. That God always wants us to keep striving for bigger, 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 to keep grinding, to keep pushing, to keep tightening the belt. And God doesn't want us to be busier. This is one of the greatest tensions for me in Christianity, the relationship between works and grace. And I know a lot of you are probably thinking, yeah, we've heard this before, but I just want to go back over it again. It's a great tightrope of works and grace that as Christians we need to be navigating. Because Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. Do you notice again that similarly to the story of Gideon, Paul here is saying so that you can't boast, so that you remain humble. 
because bigger and busier means that we did it by our own strength. Look at us. Look how great we are. And God's saying, yeah, you are great, but I am greater. (laughs) I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. And you are not going to achieve anything by your own brawn, your own striving, if I am not with you in it. Amen? When intentions look bigger than God's intentions, we get prideful. And when our intentions look bigger than God's intentions and busier than God's intentions, pride will sneak in and think we're doing it all by ourselves. We work ourselves sick and tired and become these broken reflections of Christ. How are you supposed to reflect Christ if you are sick and weary and burnt out and tired and have no margin for the miraculous, have no space for the Spirit in your life? If you're not creating margin for God to move in your time, in your energy, in your finances... You're going to squeeze God out of the equation by your own striving. My wife, Emily, said something very wise to me recently, as she's wont to do on regular occasion. We were sitting around the dinner table lamenting that once again (laughs) we were coming into a week in our calendar that was chock-a-block. And she said, you know, when I do things out of pressure and guilt and obligation... When I do things out of pressure and guilt and obligation, I feel so drained. Oh, I feel so drained. But when I earnestly seek God and commit to the things that he wants me to commit to and say no to the things that he wants me to say no to, miraculously, he provides the energy, the time, the money, the resources that I need. Because when we seek God, his plans are perfect. But when we are going by our own plans, we're going to be stressed, we're going to be tired, we're going to be burnt out. Good intentions aren't enough. Because God wants to give you rest. This is the whole thing. And I think a lot of us can be like King David. We don't really like rest. I think we like the idea of rest. We like the idea of laying on a banana lounge on the Bahamas, sipping whatever drink of choice from a coconut. Like, that's a great idea. I think the reality is a lot of us don't actually sit very comfortably in rest. We feel very uncomfortable in the silence, in the solitude, in the space, in the emptiness. So the second we've got a tiny free moment in our schedule, we're just, oh, great, I'm going to just... Instead of sitting in that space, because this is what happens... We sit in the space and it gives God a chance to speak. Because it says, again, in, in 2 Samuel 7 to 1, that David had settled in his palace and God had given him rest. He'd given him rest from all his enemies around him. And it's at this point that David goes, hey, I've got a big, busy plan. (laughs) I've got rest now and I'm going to fill it up. I'm going to schedule some things into that. I'm going to order some giant logs of cedar. I'm going to get some stonemasons in. It's going to be grand. But we jump forward to the next passage on the screen and it's in the silence and the solitude of night that God's intentions are revealed to Nathan. 
not in the busy humdrum of day-to-day nine-to-five, which is important, but let's be real. It's in the silence and solitude of night that God reveals his intention to Nathan, saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I've moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over the people Israel. I have been with you wherever you've gone. I have cut you off from all your enemies from before you. God is saying to David, I'm the one who elevated you. I'm the one who pulled you out of the pasture. I'm the one who elevated you as king. I'm the one who's given you rest from your enemies. And thankfully, Nathan is wise enough to seek God's voice. And thankfully, David listens. He's humble enough to put his big, busy plans aside, and he's flexible enough to change course. There's an expression throwing good money out after bad, and I think that we can fall into that trap with all of our resources, throwing good energy out after bad, throwing good time out after bad, throwing good money out after bad, because we feel like we're just too far invested into this thing that, God, I can't let it go. I can't change direction now. I'm too far along. I've given too much. I've sacrificed too much. We've got to be flexible. We've got to be humble to recognize maybe our good intentions aren't aligned with God's intentions in that moment. I find it really ironic that the word business is spelt with a silent I. You're like, where? That was a <laughs> tangent. I find it really interesting that the word business is spelt with a silent I. Because the second the silent I becomes too dominant in our business, what does it become? Busyness. When the I becomes too dominant in our business, it just becomes busyness. And how often can our day-to-day business become so quickly day-to-day busyness because our ego gets involved and the I has become too dominant? It's a silent I. But I'm I'm not done with this because I think it's really important to note There is still an I in business. There is still an I. Paul encourages us in Colossians 3, 23, 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So there is still an I in business, but the second it becomes more dominant of an I than the great I am, it becomes busyness. The second it becomes more dominant than the great I am, Jesus, who revealed himself in a burning bush to Moses and said, I am with you. I am with you to the very end of days. The same I am who got pulled up on a cross and declared before he gave his last breath on that cross that it is finished. The same Jesus, the same I am, who after resurrecting three days later, gathered his disciples together and said, now go. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in your name and your strength and your power. And your No, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and surely I am with you to the very end of days. There is an I in business, but we need to make sure that that I doesn't become so dominant that it doesn't create space for the great I am to move in our business. So how do we, how do, we do this? I mean, how do we avoid this trap of our business becoming busyness? Well, we need Nathans. And we also need Davids. Everybody needs a Nathan who's speaking God's truth into your current situation, who's speaking God's wisdom and discernment into your current situation. But we also need Davids. We need Davids who aren't stiff-necked and hard-hearted and who are willing to change course. We need Davids who are willing to receive the Word of God. We need Davids who create a space for people to grow and flourish and refine their prophetic giftings as somebody comes boldly and courageously to share what they believe God is speaking into someone's life. This thing called Christianity has done a lot better in community. (laughs) It's done a lot better in community. And there are moments, as I've already said today, where there is silence and solitude and we're seeking God's voice by ourselves. But there are also moments where we are together, a mutually edifying community who is speaking God's truth and receiving God's truth and working together in a symbiotic relationship to ensure that God's intention is the thing that is manifesting and not just our good intentions. Because God had great plans for David. But it wasn't just a blessing for David's sake. It was also so his people, his country, the world, all of humanity could be blessed. 2 Samuel 7, 9 to 11. Now I will make your name great. This is God speaking to David through Nathan. I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. At this point, David thinks that God's intentions are just about the here and now. And this is the last point that I want to make today, that God's intentions see so much further than ours. Good intentions see less than God's intentions. Good intentions just see what's right in front of us. God's intentions see over the horizon and beyond. They may not look like the blessing you had in mind. If God wants our church to be a giant mega church of 400 plus people, all glory to God. Amen. And if God wants us to be a church of 40 people, all glory to God. Amen? If God wants our budget next year to be over a million dollars net profit, all glory to God. Amen? And if God wants us to make zero dollars net profit next year, all glory to God. Amen? If God wants us to be happy, healthy, and wealthy for the rest of our lives, all glory to God. Amen? And if God wants us to spend the rest of our lives lamenting, sick, and poor, all glory to God, amen? If that's God's intention. Here's what I want to be known for as a community. 
I want to be known for a community who loves God and loves others. That's what I want to be known for. I want to be infamous as a community who loves God and loves others well. I want to be notorious as a community who loves God and loves others well and seeks God's intentions, not our good intentions. Because God's intentions may appear small and they may be less busy, but they see so much further than our intentions. Because God's not done with David in this passage as we know. He goes, David, you're going to build me a house? That's really cute, mate. I'm going to build you a household that's going to last for eternity, that's not just going to affect you, that's not just going to affect your children and your children's children and your children's children. It's going to affect humanity. It's going to affect the whole world. This is what God speaks through Nathan in 2 Samuel 7. 11 to 17. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring. Interesting word, raise up. Maybe resurrect your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands, but my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And Nathan replied, Reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Good intentions desire bigger. Good intentions become busier and good intentions see less. But God's intentions, God's intentions look smaller. Sometimes they don't look like a messianic king coming on a war horse into battle wearing a crown. Sometimes they look like a tiny little baby born all the way back in David's hometown of Bethlehem in a manger filled with straw. Sometimes God's intentions are really easily earned. You are saved through faith, saved by grace. All you need to do is believe. There's no striving. There's no earning. You are not saved by your good works. You are not saved by the wringing of your hands and the sweat of your brow. You are saved by the sweat that Jesus bled out on the cross of Calvary. You are saved by the blood of Christ. And God's intention, see further. See further than our limited plans. See further than our lifespan. See further into an eternal kingdom going to bring the band up. Is this something that you want this morning? Are you sick of being sick and tired and burnt out and weary and striving and fuddling around and looking to broken Kit to figure out where to go next? Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and tired and I will give you rest. Jesus says, come cast all of your anxieties on me because I love you. I want to provide for you. I want to commune with you. I want to show you my love and the plans I have for you. Can I get everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads?
this is something that God offers us. And if this morning you are sick of the striving, you are sick of not knowing where to go next and you want to know God's intentions for your life, if you want to start following Jesus and stop following snapped Kit Kats, if you want to follow Jesus this morning, I ask you to put your hand up because Jesus wants to guide you. Jesus wants to be your shepherd. Jesus wants to show you the good intentions that he has in store for you. If you've put your hand up right now, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer, but we're all going to pray it together as a community of believers. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for providing a better way. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Jesus, help me to follow you all of my days. I receive your salvation. I receive your peace. I receive your plan for my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, I would love to chat to you after. Our prayer team would love to chat to you. Our pastoral team would love to chat to you. I'm going to be bold and say anyone in this church would love to talk to you and pray with you. But please do not leave today without telling somebody that you prayed that prayer. If that's the first time, if that's the hundredth time, recommitting your life to Christ. Church, I love you. Let's continue to be known as a church who loves God and loves each other. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.